just saying to the earlier service, it was so good that I don't have to wear a mask. There's, so many, there's only so much my ears can hold up, and my glasses and the microphone come first. So, let's pray as we come to God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we would ask that you would be zealous for the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would accomplish your purposes through your word. And we pray now that you would bless us as we think about your word, that you would speak to us and challenge us. For those who are online as well, that your, your blessing would reach out to them. Our eyes are on you to do wonderful things in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are going to be thinking about the topic of rebuilding in the kingdom of God. Rebuilding is always a very difficult work. It only comes after a time of major disruption or destruction. And so you are already feeling discouraged by that. And then you have to get on with the task of rebuilding. To help us think about this topic of rebuilding, I've put just five slides together around the tsunami that hit Japan in 2011, a time of massive destruction and of rebuilding in Japan. I recently saw a documentary on it, and that turned my heart to this topic. So this first slide, so that's the magnitude of the earthquake that... Um, that started this tsunami. It was um, a level 9 earthquake on the Richter scale. So it was a massive earthquake um, that hit the region in 2011. Thank you. Next slide. And that's the tsunami that resulted from it. And uh, Japan really um, bore a lot of the brunt of this tsunami, a massive um, wave and volume of water that went um, through the country. Next slide. Thank you. And that's some of the destruction that it caused. Just vast destruction to large areas in Japan. Thank you. Next slide. Some more of the destruction. And as I was seeing these images, um, I asked myself, so how do you start rebuilding with, with something like that? Where would you even start? Um, just the discouragement from that. And this last picture um, kind of helps us understand, and that person standing in front there, just starting to pick up, pick up the pieces one brick at a time. Um, uh, some machinery was brought in to the edge of the destruction. You just start at the edge of the destruction, you start picking up and load it into a lorry and take it away, and you carry on, on doing that. So that was the destruction and the rebuilding process that happened in Japan. Now, when we come to the book of Nehemiah, thank you so much for the presentation. The book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is dealing with rebuilding after massive destruction. If you turn to your index of your Bible, just open up the index, and it gives a little bit of context to what Nehemiah is about, because in the index under the Old Testament, you'll see two books called First and Second Chronicles. So at the end of Second Chronicles, it describes the 
massive devastation that happened in Israel as the Babylonians came in and plundered the nation. Israel and Judah had broken the covenant with God, had sinned multiple times, fallen into idolatry, and God was now bringing judgment on them through the nation of Babylon. Babylon invades and there is massive destruction in the country. The temple is completely torn down. Jerusalem is laid to ruins. The walls are are trampled down. The, The doors to the city are burnt. And the city is literally a heap of ruins. And the people are deported into Babylon. And then we go into 70 years of captivity where the Jews are in exile. And so that's after the book of 2 Chronicles. Now in your index, the next two books are the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And these are books about rebuilding. Ezra focuses on rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah focuses on building the walls and gates of Jerusalem. And these books describe the rebuilding process, and we are going to be focusing a little bit on the book of Nehemiah this morning to look at this whole process of rebuilding in Jerusalem and in Israel. But why are we thinking today about the rebuilding, the theme of rebuilding? As I'm going to be mentioning later, COVID-19 has in fact had a major disruption in the world and on church activities, and we need to rebuild. And I'm going to be explaining that soon. And so we're going to be looking at Nehemiah's rebuilding program from the book under three brief headings. The first heading is going to be the man Nehemiah. The second heading is the mission of Nehemiah. And the third heading is the legacy of Nehemiah. So let's jump in to the first heading, the man Nehemiah. And if you open up your scriptures, we are going to be reading the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah together, where we just focus um, from this chapter on some of Nehemiah's character. A lot more could be said about Nehemiah, but I just want to focus on two characteristics that we are going to see coming out in chapter 1. So let's read the together from Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. 
Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. So just two characteristics which we pick up from this first chapter of Nehemiah about his character. The first characteristic we see about Nehemiah is that he had a deep concern for the things of the Lord and the things of God. We find that in 2b, as soon as the, in verse 2b, as soon as these people come back from Judea, the first thing that Nehemiah asks them is concern for the people of God and for the situation in Israel and in Judah a deep concern for the things of God. There were many Jews in the exile at this time, and do you know that a lot of those Jews did not choose to go back to Israel during this time? They stayed where they were in exile. They had made a new life for themselves, they were settled, and they were comfortable in Babylon and now under the Persian king, they had probably just paid off their home. They had just settled their kids in Babylon primary, and they were not interested in going back to Israel. They were settled, and they were comfortable. Nehemiah was different, wasn't it? Nehemiah could easily have said, you know what, this is not my issue. There are thousands of Jews. Maybe somebody else will take up the cause of Christ and the cause of God. But he wasn't like that, was he? We see in here simply this, a deep concern in his heart for the glory of God and for the cause of God in the world. The second characteristic we see of Nehemiah coming through strongly in this prayer is his love and zeal for God. And we see this in verse 4 and following with the earnestness um, of this, of this prayer. We see it was accompanied with prayer and fasting. He's concerned. And it is an earnestness and a zeal that moves him to action. And it was an action that, in fact, in, included great risk because he was going to go before the king with a sad face. Now, in these times, you were not allowed to go before the king with a sad face. He could literally give you the chop, uh, take your head off for just being sad in his presence and maybe bringing his mood down. So it was a, 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 a time of major risk for him, an act of major risk, but he does it because of his zeal and his concern for the glory of God. And so the first simple point under this first heading, the man Nehemiah, is all rebuilding starts with godly character. 
It starts with simply having a concern as a believer for the things of God and the kingdom of God. A deep concern and a love and a zeal for God. So that was the man, Nehemiah. The second point, the mission of Nehemiah. So, what was Nehemiah all about? As I mentioned in the book of Ezra, you have a description of the building of the temple. And obviously the temple was critical in the Old Testament for offering up sacrifices to God and for the worship of God. Nehemiah is now concerned with rebuilding the walls and gates of Jerusalem after the destruction. As you know, at this time, for a city, its wall and its gates were really its protection. And you were completely vulnerable as a people if your city did not have a wall and gates. This work of rebuilding was far away from where he was in Susa, um, at the center of the Persian Empire, and so he had to travel far to get to Jerusalem. So this mission of his, this work of his, was massively inconvenient. It was really inconvenient. He, in fact, had a very good job. He was a cupbearer to the king. He had started a new life. The trip was long and dangerous to Israel. And there was no luxury accommodation in Jerusalem. It was a heap of ruins. There was no Airbnb to book into to select what type of luxury you want. And I'm going to book into an Airbnb uh, near to Jerusalem and start building. Nothing like that. Massively inconvenient for Nehemiah to undertake this work. But he does. Secondly, this mission was really dangerous. Apart from the trip there, the nations around Jerusalem and Israel really did not want to see Israel, uh, Jerusalem being rebuilt, especially the walls being rebuilt. Turn to chapter 4, and it just mentions some of the enemies of this work and the enemies of God. Look at verse 1. We're introduced to one of the enemies. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And so that's one of the main opponents of this great work and of the people of God. In verse 3, another character is introduced. Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down the stone wall. And so they begin a campaign of, uh, against Israel and against Nehemiah and this great work. And look at verse 7 of chapter 4. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And so they start a campaign and a, a program to get people together, and they want to actually attack Israel and kill the Jews and stop this work. And so Nehemiah chapter 4 is a description of, so how do the Jews and how does Nehemiah handle this? In verse 16, we find out that what Nehemiah did with his servants was half of his servants did building work, and the other half of his servants were armed. And he would place these, these people with arms all around the work because you see there was rubble all over the place. So, so an enemy could easily creep up to Jerusalem unnoticed 
in amongst the rubble and attack them. In verse 17, let me read that for you. The, the other people who started working on the wall had to work in this manner. It says, who were the people who were building on the wall? Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work, labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. So these people had to go and they would be building with one hand and they would have a weapon in the other hand. Uh, you might know that C.H. Um, Spurgeon had a magazine called The Sword and the Trowel, which was from this verse here. One hand holding a trowel to do building and the other hand holding a sword. Imagine going to work under conditions like this. This is not great working conditions, is it? Um, you go to your left hand, you learn to type on the computer, and in your other hand you hold a gun and you keep your eyes open. That's, that, that's what it was like for Nehemiah and this, this team. Quite a job description. Um, bring your computer and a gun, and that's how you're going to be working for the next few years. But you see, the temple needed to be rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem needed to be built as part of God's program because in 400 years' time, the Savior of the world and the Messiah was going to walk through the streets of Jerusalem and accomplish God's great work of redemption. This was mission critical. And Nehemiah, not necessarily seeing everything that was going to happen, yet saw the importance of Jerusalem, was concerned, and he started this program. This was his mission and his life's work. The main point, as we think of Nehemiah's rebuilding, was that rebuilding is always inconvenient, it carries risk, and there's always great sacrifice with rebuilding. Our third heading, the legacy of Nehemiah. So what did Nehemiah leave behind after he passed away. Well, under him the work was completed, and you can see that in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 to 16, the wall is finally complete, and the, the doors of the city are hung, and the enemies of God are concerned. It says in verse 16, that when the, when the nations around saw that the work had been completed, they were concerned because they knew God was behind this work. And in Nehemiah chapter 12, um, verses 27 through to 43, you can see there where the wall is dedicated and there is great rejoicing in the nation. In fact, they rejoice so much it says the noise could be heard far away. And so the nations around got the message. God was going to be bringing his people back and he was involved in this. So what legacy did Nehemiah leave? Well, it's pretty cool, isn't it, in the index of the Holy Scriptures to have your name reflected there and a whole book written about what you had done. I'm sure Nehemiah wasn't expecting that, but that is how God remembered him and, and honored him, and he left, God left a description of Nehemiah and his work in the Bible for us to be an example and an encouragement to us when we think about rebuilding. He left circumstances which would allow the nation to be restored 
so that 400 late years later, as I mentioned, the Savior of the world would come through and do that wonderful work of redemption for which we are all so grateful, that our sins are forgiven. But the Messiah had to come from Israel. The nation had to be restored. The temple had to be rebuilt and Jerusalem established. I want you to notice something about Nehemiah. Who, who actually was Nehemiah? We would think that he might have been a, a scribe or a priest or a prophet. Uh, maybe that he would have been of noble birth along the lines of David. Nothing like that. He was, he was a Jew who had some prominence in the Persian Empire and was concerned about the things of God and decided to do something about it. And he left this wonderful legacy for us. Look at his heart's desire. The very last sentence in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. This is what he wanted his life to leave behind. And he simply says this right at the end. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. And God did remember him for good and had it recorded in the pages of Holy Scripture. And so his life was a wonderful legacy, a life that was concerned for the things of God and a life, in fact, that counted in the kingdom of God. And it was absolutely essential as part of God's program in the Old Testament to bring in the Messiah for the wonderful New Testament which we enjoy. And so we close with some words of application. As we're thinking about rebuilding, I'm sure you must be aware that COVID-19 has what I would call been a major disruptor in the world. It's probably less dramatic in some ways than the tsunami that hit Japan in 2011. But in other ways, the impact of COVID-19 has been much greater on the world. Global markets have been overturned. Social behavior has been changed throughout the whole world. People have become more isolationist. It is the first time in my Christian life that for five months in a row, I did not come to church to gather physically with God's people and I did not celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's the first time in my Christian life that that has happened. It is the first time in the history of South Africa, and I'm talking about um, the history of the church in South Africa from about the 1600s, that for two to three months, virtually not a single Christian church gathered on South African soil. And that is unprecedented in our history. At Hillcrest Baptist, many of our programs have been completely disrupted. We were meant to go on a short-term mission trip to Kenya. It was cancelled or postponed. We were meant to have a missions conference that has been put off. Our quest for truth, which, is, which had really gained momentum and was reaching out to the community and it was getting to be known, has been put on halt. We were meant to have two or three quest for truths and that has all been cancelled and the momentum has largely been lost. For our family, it's the first time for months and months where we didn't have people in our home to have meals and fellowship 
but we were quite isolated. And so it certainly feels like the walls are broken down around us and we need to start rebuilding our ministries. I'm not sure about you, but as the lockdown restrictions eased, I felt a certain lethargy about rebuilding and getting back to what we need to do. Online worship was so convenient, wasn't it? I mean, if you wanted to, you could sleep in, you could go downstairs in your PJs with a cup of coffee and just switch on the telly and have the service right in front of you. No getting up early, no putting on makeup, doing your hair like I often have to do. Um, It was just so convenient, wasn't it? Home groups, online, what a pleasure. You don't have to organize eats. You don't have to tidy your house. I mean, a tsunami could have hit your house and it can be devastation, but you just need to angle the laptop correctly with a bookshelf behind you and it all looks great. No hospitality, no stress of preparing meals, keeping the house tidy and having people in your home. And so it would be easy to use COVID-19 as an excuse to delay rebuilding as a church our ministries and our programs that are centered around God's word. This message is not to judge those who have got real health issues with COVID-19 and need to be cautious, but this message is a call for us as a church to now start rebuilding. And I believe we need to rebuild in three areas, and I'm just going to mention them very briefly before we close. We need to rebuild the physical gathering of the body of Christ. It is absolutely critical that the world out there sees a visible gathering and physical gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. A virtual church is a contradiction in terms. There are certain essential functions that a church needs to do that you cannot do online. And so there's the encouragement to the whole of HBC that we start rebuilding our physical gatherings. The world needs to see a visibly gathered church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing we need to rebuild is fellowship and community. We need to be in each other's lives and we need to be in each other's homes to care for each other, to be praying for each other and to know, um, to do discipleship and to know what is happening in our lives. The third thing that we need to rebuild is outreach. In our home groups, we're doing the Lord's Prayer, and one of the petitions is to God, your kingdom come. How is that going to happen? The community around us has got new social behaviors. How are we going to reach our community? We might have to rebuild in slightly different ways, but rebuild we must. We must start moving forward with courage to rebuild the programs that we find in Scripture and around the principles of God's Word. For an example, we are looking to build a church structure in Ndwedwe. The church is overflowing and they need a church building. So soon we are going to be asking people to join a work party up in Ndwedwe to build the church structure. And yes, it will be similar to Nehemiah's time. We'll have a spade in one hand and a sanitizer in the other hand. 
but we will get the work done. In fact, maybe we should start a magazine called The Spade and Sanitizer or something like Spurgeon's magazine. And so this is a call as we close, a call to start rebuilding. We've had major disruption in our lives and in our church. The work of Christ needs to go on. It is going to be inconvenient for you and I, and it is going to involve sacrifice. But that is what we are called to do. What does it start with? It simply starts with a deep concern in your and my heart for the cause of Christ and his kingdom which will force us, constrain us to get involved and be part of rebuilding. How do you start? Just like in Japan, brick by brick, small step by small step, and you will get there eventually. Make a start. If you're online and you're able to, book for next week and let's start gathering the body together as a witness to the world around us. Why don't you invite somebody into your home for next week for a meal? Those who have perhaps felt the isolation more keenly, think about who those might be in, your congrega- in this congregation. Invite them into your home and get started with this process of rebuilding. Surely, as Hillcrest Baptist Church, we, we want a legacy of Nehemiah and we want to pray these words that Nehemiah left us with. Remember us, O Lord, for good. And that is what we want to achieve here. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our hearts are concerned for the cause of Christ. We are concerned that this world continues to plunge into hell at the same rate that it did before. We are concerned that our projects and programs, our desire for outreach, for missions, for spreading the gospel have been disrupted. And Lord, we want to see the cause of Christ prospered through us and also in the world at large. And so we pray that you would give us wisdom, you would give us courage, you would give us boldness that we may be, begin to rebuild that which has been broken down and that in all of this the name of Christ might be honored. We ask this in his name. Amen.